that we're here for you. We're here for you. Lord, we all came in with an expectation. We didn't just show up to be entertained. We came to encounter you and to know you. And so, God, I, I just ask that as we uh, listen to the word that you have given Chris, I pray that you would uh, speak through him. I know you will. And I thank you that your word is final and your word is truth. And so we just ask it would penetrate our hearts and we would leave never the same. Amen. You guys, welcome Chris. Amen, amen, amen. All right, church, how are we doing this afternoon? Man, can we just take a moment and honor uh, Jesus? Isn't it amazing when the people of God come together and we just fix our eyes on who he is and on what he's done, we get past ourselves, we get past whatever our day or our week or weekend was like, and... Man, Jesus loves to be in those spaces. And I just want, to, want you to pay attention. Can you feel it in the room? Okay? I don't know what you want to call that, but here at Antioch Salt Lake, we call it his presence. It's the presence of God. The presence of God is attracted to the praise of his people. And so when we come into a space, like Blake just said, it's, it's actually not to be entertained. I know that the American church has taken us that direction for a long time. It's not to be entertained. It's to be encountered. It's actually to encounter the King of Kings. And so can we just say, Jesus, we love you. You are the main attraction. You are the guest of honor. We celebrate you in all of your work, and we say um, that no other spirit but the Holy Spirit can rule and reign in this place. And so we say that distraction has to go in Jesus' name. Fear has to leave in Jesus' name. Anxiety has to go in Jesus' name. And that this is a place where King Jesus gets to rule and reign freely. And so as we open your word, and as we get into the scripture together, we pray, Lord, come and have your way unhindered in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, before we dive right in, man, we're going to have a lot of fun in the Word of God. Who's thankful for the Word of God? I'm so excited uh, to study the Bible together this afternoon, but just want to give you a little personal update from our family real quick. We just got back. We had our spring break with our kids this past week, um, and many of you know that we moved here from Texas just last summer, so we actually got to go back to Texas for the first time in eight months, and this is, my dad has a beautiful hill country property with a little river that runs through it. And so those are my five kids. If you're new here, um, we have a brood and they're incredible and you, they all look the same age, which is crazy. We don't, they're not quintuplets. All right. So they're uh, eight. Caleb is in the green stripes in the middle holding Brooks, who's two. So we have all the even numbers between eight and two. Okay. But there's two of them at six. We have twins. So eight, six, six, four, and two. We had an amazing spring break. We got a couple of the pictures. They were up in a tree. Uh, we're, we're all about the radical adventure for the Pletcher crew, we just like send them early, right? Um, there's one of us, I just wanted you to have proof, there's still horses in Texas, all right? Now, we don't still ride them to school and work anymore, okay? But they are still there. Um, but we, we had an amazing spring break, super refreshing, and um, we, we came back to kick off spring sports. Who is thankful that the sun is shining, okay? And we went on a little family hike, and then my son, Caleb, 
started his basketball league yesterday. He's eight years old, and I'm his coach, and I just felt like I was living my all, all, like alternate universe dream. Like, come on, let's go, let's go. We got these sweet, like, seven or eight kids on our team. They're all in first and second grade, and Oh, man, look at him in his jersey. He's so proud. He just gets after it. He's the classic firstborn, just like has to win, just like his dad all the time. Um, so much fun. And, but, but, you know, for us as a family, uh, we, I, I mentioned eight months. Next week, we will only have lived in this valley for eight months. Um, and I just want to give a little update for, from our family. Honestly, it is, um, it's been a massive transition, if you can imagine, on top of everything else going on in the world, uh, moving our family from Texas to Utah. And, um, and, and honestly, the transition has been both, both easier and more difficult than we ever imagined. Uh, in some ways, it's been so, so smooth. We have felt at home here really, really quickly. We have found new friendships here um, so quickly. It just feels like God has given us a rich family here really quickly. It's been amazingly smooth. We were under contract on a house the first weekend we rolled into town. God just gave us a place to live uh, so smooth. Um, and in some fronts, it's been so difficult, as you can imagine, navigating a cross-country move with five little kids and all of their emotions. We don't have any emotions. It's all their emotions. No, it's just, there's just a lot, right? Moving cross country. Um, it's, it's starting over completely as a family. Um, it's been hard. Uh, you know, adjusting Murray last week. Man, how about Murray Watts preach? If you didn't hear Murray's sermon last week, Ephesians 6, so, so powerful. He talked about the spiritual climate in the valley being different than other cities and other regions. And we've really had to adjust to that. That's been difficult for us. Um, We've walked with Jesus for, for decades and did ministry in Texas, led churches in Texas, and, and this is a whole new ball game out here. It is harder here. Um, it really is in some ways, and we're going to get into that some more tonight, but it's been really tough on our family uh, in, in, a lot of, in a lot of ways as well. And so I just wanted to take a moment and just say to all of you that this is your church family, to our incredible staff team, that's been such a blessing, amazing. The Whitehursts, the Yanceys, the Gressleys, Matt, uh, Mallory, I don't want to miss anybody else. On, uh, we just brought Olivia, our kid, new kids director. There's been so many beautiful things. Did I miss anybody help? No, we're good. I think I got our whole staff team. But we have the uh, just beautiful, beautiful things. I just want to say, though, thank you for, for loving us through this transition, for, for leaning into friendship with us. This has been really hard. It's also been the most beautiful thing we've ever done. And we would do it all over again. Uh, to be a part of this family and this city. And I know that for those of you that have stuck through all the transition that has been Antioch Salt Lake, you remain because you believe that God has a unique purpose and a unique calling for this church in this city for such a time as this. Amen? And so I just want to let you know where we're going next Sunday. We're wrapping up the Ephesians series. That's what I'm about to do here in a minute. Next Sunday, I am calling Dream Sunday, okay? Because we are here in this city on purpose for a purpose. Do you guys know that there are dreams in God's heart for Salt Lake City? 
Do you know that at the cost of his own son, there are dreams in God's heart to see this city loved, redeemed, restored, and rebuilt in the love of God. And so I want to start unpacking for us next Sunday some of the dreams that as our staff team and our oversight team that we call the, the PLT, the pastoral leadership team, things that we have sensed are on God's heart. We're all called as believers to fulfill the great commission, right? Those are some of Jesus' famous last words, to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey all that he commanded. That is our mission, our purpose. That's never going to change. But there are specific ways that we fulfill that great commission in the context where we live. And I want to share some dreams that we feel like are on God's heart and that we're going to be, as we continue moving into 2022, we're going to be partnering with um, and really going after some beautiful things together as a church family, all right? So that's all the teaser you get, but come back next Sunday because it's really gonna be a pivotal launching point for us forward. The Apostle Paul says that forgetting what lies behind, I strain on to what lies ahead. And I really sense for our church family, we are at that pivotal moment where it's time for us to stop looking at what has been behind and it is time for us. God has done a work of healing and restoration. That's going to be ongoing. I know that. But it is time for us to strain forward for what's ahead with the Lord. And so come next Sunday, dream Sunday. It's going to be a blast. All right? So look, here we are. We've been in Ephesians for the last 10 weeks, this series we've called First Love Fire. Uh, Murray, again, did such a phenomenal job. Listen to it. I love the way he unpacked um, this calling for us to put on the full armor of God. We're in Ephesians 6. This is our last Sunday in this series. I'm wrapping it us, up for us tonight. But I wanted to take one last crack at trying to unpack, I don't know that we've fully done justice to this title. You may hear first love fire and that'd be like, that is weird, man. What is, I promise you it's from the Bible, all right? Book of Revelation, that John is writing letters from Jesus to send out to the seven churches. There was a church in Ephesus, right? The Ephesians. And he said, you've done an amazing job being steadfast in your faith, clinging to the truth, but you have drifted from the love that you had for me at first, and anybody that's been married for more than a few years or been in relationship with God for more than a few years, you know that however excited you might be to come into the kingdom initially, your love for God will always be tested. Just like your marriage covenant, your love for your spouse will be tested. And so I want to just unpack for this, uh, us this, this what, have we, what have we been trying to get to? We've been trying to get to this big picture of the gospel is that we find ourselves in a broken and fallen world. Yes and amen? It's hard because it's hard. <laughs> Our world is not as it should be. Don't, don't look around and expect this to be the fulfillment of your dreams because we are living in a broken reality that has been broken by one thing and one thing only, and that is sin. 
Everything that is wrong with life, everything that is broken, every disease, every sickness, every place of strife, every broken relationship, every war that is currently rumbling on our planet right now, everything that is painful and broken and out of alignment on this earth is because of sin. And God, from the very beginning, has been enacting this rescue plan to redeem what was lost and stolen when sin invaded the earth. And that rescue plan brings us out of darkness, out of sin, out of slavery, and at the cost of the blood of Jesus makes a way for us. The Bible says that we get rescued from the domain of darkness. The blood of Jesus transfers us. I love this imagery. It's like he reaches in, there's a rescue, and then the blood transfers us into a new. The Bible says, this is Colossians 2, domain. It transfers us from one domain to another. Do you know what a dominion is? A dominion is the domain. It's the territory that's under the reign of a king. Church, there's, there's, there's two kings battling for dominion over the earth. Actually, there's just one king. And there's a false king that is trying to steal, kill, and destroy what rightfully belongs to the true king. And there's a battle for dominion over the earth. And we get rescued by the blood of Jesus and we literally get transferred from one dominion under this false king into this new dominion under the true king, which is called the kingdom of God's beloved son. That's what the blood of Jesus buys for us. That's why we come here together and we sing hallelujah for the cross and we get fired up about what he has done. It literally takes us into a new dominion where we can begin to experience an entirely new reality because authority always affects experience. So when you live under the authority of sin, darkness, and an evil false king, you're going to experience what it's like to be under his rule, hence the world that we have. But when you get brought in under the true king's authority, you have access to a whole different experience. Are you with me? But look, Jesus said, this dominion, this domain, you find yourself on a hard and narrow road. He was very honest and upfront with this from the very beginning. A hard and narrow road. And look, you're still in church in 2022. So praise God, you haven't ejected yet. But listen, we know it's true, right? We know it's true. It is far too common for believers, we're seeing it all the time, to compromise, to get complacent, or to flat out call it quits. Our love for God will be tested. And we are living in critical times. The call to return to our first love is a call to fight the good fight of faith. And it is a call to keep the Lord Jesus as the first and foremost priority of our heart. This series actually means nothing without the word first. There's really only one seat for Jesus on the bus. It's the first seat. And as soon as you give the first of your heart to something else, you find yourself in, in a place you don't want to be. But it, it's, it's a hard and narrow road. As Murray unpacked for us last week, there is real opposition. And so how 
Do we make it, church? I want you to just be encouraged. Listen to this real quick. Listen to the saints that have gone before us. Talk about this. 2 Corinthians 4 says, I ha- we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. I want you to say, if it's felt, like affliction, if you felt perplexed, persecuted, or struck down, okay, hey, you're on the hard and narrow road, all right? Listen to this, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the, the race. I have kept the faith. Your faith will be tested. If it feels like a fight, welcome to the narrow road. You're doing a great job, okay? If it feels like a war, I got a newsflash. If nobody's told you this lately, it's because you're in a war. And we're not being overly dramatic. We're not trying to be like some rally cry of macho, oh, we're in the battle. No, this is what the scripture unpacks for us at the end of Ephesians. He says, look, we're in a battle. It is real. It is a fight for your faith. Every difficulty, every discouragement, every temptation. Church, let me make it really simple for you. The enemy has one goal. It is to kill your faith. It is to steal, kill, and destroy your faith in God, your belief in God, your hope in God. That is his one goal. And if you do not fight, I say this in love, you will lose. He will steal, kill, and destroy your faith. We're not being overly dramatic here. That's why Ephesians 6, he says, so be strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand. Stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're we're wrestling against rulers, authorities. This sounds kind of weird and mystical, but the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're not wrestling with our neighbors, with the other political party that we don't like. We're not wrestling with Russia. We are wrestling with an unseen spiritual realm of darkness. Again, that dominion under the false king that has been trying to steal, kill, and destroy what is God. So are you with me? Can we all just agree and be on the same page that this is the fight we find ourselves in. Maybe you're here for the, and you've, you've, you're not a believer in Jesus. Maybe you're here, you're checking it out, and you're, you're saying, hey, uh, man, I, I thought I was going to come to follow Jesus so that my life could get better, and you're telling me uh, that it's a war? <laughs> yes. <laughs> look, look, when we come to Jesus, and we have this dominion switch into his kingdom, okay? Life gets better in some huge ways. Can we just remember again? Life gets amazingly better. Check it out, okay? The removal of guilt and shame at the cross. Praise God. The hope of new life at the resurrection. Praise God, right? The clarity of purpose at the Great Commission. Thank you, God. The gift of the help of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost, right? The beauty of living in a supernatural community called the church. And above all that, we have daily access to knowing God as our Father and walking with Him. So life gets better in a thousand amazing ways. But we have to be honest and acknowledge that in other ways, life gets way harder. 
It does. Because we now find ourselves going against the grain of this other domain. Okay, listen. We find ourselves going against the grain of a world that is literally hell-bent on rebelling against God. Now, we've had it pretty good here in America for a long time compared to the rest of the planet. But the true cost of discipleship to Jesus is still a hard and narrow road, no matter where, what country you live in. And, and so we've got to lean in, we've got to link arms, and we've got to look to Jesus and learn. I want you to look at Psalm 103. When I was preparing for today, I felt like God said that his, his message for us is to learn the, his ways, Psalm 103, verse 6, said, God made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. And I've heard people preach like, hey, there's a difference between God's ways and God's acts. God's ways are like his paths. It's like the wisdom of God. It's like the inner workings of the knowledge of God's will and how he works. And his acts are like his deeds. His acts are almost like the fruit of his ways. Are you with me? I feel like there's an invitation for us to learn the ways of the Lord more deeply. And here in this Ephesians 6 illustration of the armor of God, I feel like specifically he's inviting us to wrap up this series by learning the way of the sword. Say that with me. The way of the sword. The way of the sword. I want you to look at Ephesians 6, 16 and 17. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What we see here in Ephesians 6, as he wraps up this letter to this church, is that he very clearly says, look, if you're going to go after this life, this spirit-filled life of following Jesus, you will encounter opposition. You need to armor up. And he walks through this beautiful illustration, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. And in all of that armor, most of it is defensive, One piece of it is an offensive weapon. That's the sword. And this is so critical for us to learn because we're in a season where, yes, we have to stand firm the ground that we have taken. We have to guard and stand in the ground that we have gained. But I believe the invitation to learn his ways is an invitation, again, forward to take ground in this season. This is not a season for the church to cower behind the shield in a defensive posture anymore. All right? We have a shield for a reason. Okay, because the fiery darts of the enemy, they are coming. But we have a sword for a reason too. Because when you walk through a crowd of people and you have a sword and nobody else does, what happens? They move. And you can go wherever you want. I mean, just think about it. If all of y'all were standing in front of me trying to block my forward progress and I had a sword in my hand and you did not, I could freely move where I want to move. Church, we got to learn the way of the sword. 
we have got to stop looking behind and start moving forward in this season. And it's through the way of the sword, which is the, the word of God. Isn't it amazing how it's the sword of the Spirit, but it's the Word of God? And we sometimes, we, we, we build these churches and we lead these churches almost like it's an option. Like, well, you can be a Holy Spirit church or you can be a, a church that believes the Bible. And we're like, actually, uh, I, I believe in both. I believe in, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe in the Word of God. And I don't see a difference because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so, hey, welcome to church. If you've been checking out different churches, okay, we fully believe in the word of God and we're gonna learn how to wield it as our sword and we fully yield to and believe in the spirit of God who was the third member of the Trinity, the helper given to us. Ephesians 5 said, look, be filled with the spirit. And then Ephesians 6 says, and then being filled with the spirit, learn how to wield his sword, which is the word. Man, isn't it beautiful to be in the kingdom? God is so smart. He's so beautiful. He thought about everything. He's left us with every weapon. And here's the good news, church. Here's the good news. Your enemy, this, the king of the spiritual forces of darkness, the Bible says he's like a, a lion. He's like a lion. He's not a lion. He's imitating the true lion. And he's lurking around, seeking to devour. What is it? What is the one thing he's coming after? Huh? Thank you, Matt Morley, worship pastor. So, so glad you're wor our worship pastor. Seriously, aren't you so glad this guy leads us in worship? So powerful, dude. When you sing, bro, rooms change, man. When you open your mouth, there is power in your heart, and it comes up through your words, and it changes environments, dude. I'm so glad you're on our team and part of our worship community here. So the, the enemy is like a lion, and he is seeking to devour your faith. That is, everything's coming against your faith. That's it. And where was I? We're going to get there. Um, pick up your weapon. He's lurking like a lion. Okay, I'm going to get back there. Don't worry. Don't worry. That was worth it, Matt. It was worth it, bro. Okay. He is seeking to devour our faith. Okay. And oh, here's the cool thing about this, this imitation lion. This is where I'm going. I got, I got back there. Is, let, me tell you, let me tell you what the Bible says about him. Because we just talked about what the Bible says about you. You're covered in armor and you've got a sword. Yes. All right. Let me tell you what it says about him. Check out. I'm skipping ahead here um, to the very end, Ms. Taylor, running our slides. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Check this out. Uh, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that was your old kingdom, okay, your old dominion, God made alive. Remember when the blood of Jesus transferred you? He made alive with him, forgiving us of all of our trespasses. He canceled the record of debt that stood against you and me with its legal demands on our sin. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Check it out. When he nailed it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So check it out. Check it out. Don't miss that little word. He what? Disarmed. He disarmed 
the rulers and the authorities. He disarmed the false king of the false domain of darkness. So that means, church, you are carrying a sword into a fight with a kitty cat pretending to be a lion that literally, what does it mean to be disarmed? He has no weapons. Now, we're not ignorant of his schemes. We actually know that he comes against. Murray did such a great job last week unpacking. He's the father of lies. Murray said so clearly, he said, look, he cannot touch you. He cannot violate your will. He cannot lay a finger on you. First John says, if you're a child of God, he cannot put a finger on you. But that doesn't mean he won't get in your ear all day long and whisper lies and accusations. and da, da, da. This is why this book of Ephesians and this journey through our identity is so critical. Because we got to know who we are because he's coming against us trying to tell us who we aren't. But listen, listen. He's been disarmed. It's not a fair fight. It is not a fair fight. Some of y'all need to hear this because you've been, you felt so defeated. I'm with you. You felt so uh, struck down, perplexed, crushed. Are you with me? Am I the only one that it's been, the last couple of years have been hard. Like I know I've moved three times across the country and all this stuff, right? But it's been hard for everybody. Yeah. We need to hear this. Church, it is time that we rise we have gotten used to feeling defeated and it's never supposed to be our portion. We've got to rise, pick up our sword, learn the way of the sword and realize that it is not a fair fight. And we have the upper hand now because Jesus disarmed our enemies already. So I want to, I want to show you what this looks like in the life of Jesus because it is stunningly cool to watch. The primary source that we have for learning the way of the sword, for learning the ways of the Lord, period, is that we look at who? We look at Jesus. I'm just going to pretend y'all were all flipping in your Bible somewhere, okay? Because this is a Christian church, all right? I was expecting a little bit more on that, okay? The primary source that we have for learning the ways of the Lord is that we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. We see in Jesus modeled for us, we see what faith and obedience look like. So I want you to flip to Matthew chapter 8. If you have a paper Bible, it's going to, or, or just search and scroll, that's fine there too. But we're going to read almost all of Matthew 8 here. And when we got about uh, 15 minutes left. And we're going to read through. And what I want us to see is the way of the sword in action in Jesus' life. It's amazing. I want to give you, I'm going to, spoiler, spoiler alert. What you're about to see is not a fair fight. What you're about to see is a highlight reel of Jesus wielding the sword of the Spirit against the domain of darkness. That's what you're about to see. Actually, 1 John 3 verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hey, who would love that job description, Right? Like, you get a job offer, you know, like, hey, what, you know, what are you asking me to do? What's my, I just want you to come and destroy the works of the devil. That's cool. If you could do that, you, I'll hire you tomorrow, okay? But like, that's why Jesus came, right? That's why he came. And I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 8. We're learning the way of the sword, the sword of the 
which is the word of. All right. So Matthew 8. He came down from the mountain. Look at me real quick, church. We're going to stop right there. I feel like the Lord's highlighting. He came down from a mountain. There are times when you are going to feel on cloud nine with the Lord and life's going to feel good and free, you're going to come down from the mountain and you're going to walk into Matthew chapter eight. You're going to come down from the mountain into a mess. This is normal life is we encounter the Lord. Maybe this Sunday, maybe you're here, you're being encouraged. You're like, man, God is good. I like believe that. And again, maybe for the first time in a while, you're like, maybe, maybe Sunday church is like a mountain for you. But then you go to drop your kids off at school Monday or you go to class or go to your job Monday and you feel like, man, pretty quickly from Sunday afternoon, I left the mountain and I entered into the mess of Monday. What are you going to do? Well, Jesus came down from a mountain into a mess with a sword in his hand. We're learning the ways of the Lord. Check this out. He comes down from the mountain and great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, If you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Isn't that amazing? I want you to stop for a second. Remember when God created the universe in Genesis? He created the world using what? The words of his mouth. Now you've got God in the flesh as a man walking on this planet that's relatively tiny in the grand scope of the universe he created with his voice. He's now God in the flesh walking on the little ball that he created using the words of his mouth. Oh my gosh, I will be cleansed and leprosy gone. Because he said so. Yes. You know, the Bible says that, that at the end of the time, the sword will come out of Jesus' mouth. I know it's kind of weird imagery. We're watching it, the sword come out of his mouth. He's literally just walking around. Be clean. He goes on, verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum. This is the same storyline, guys. A centurion came forward, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. Oh man, leprosy is one thing, but paralysis, oh, he's suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, I love this story, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Look, but just only say, come on, the word. Say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come. And he comes, and my servant. Do you notice what the centurion's saying? He says, look, I know how this works, Jesus, because I'm in authority. I'm actually, he says, I'm under authority. He says, what I say happens. And I'm looking at you, Jesus, and I'm realizing you're under the authority of some general. I don't even know where you're coming from, but you just say the word. I know how this stuff works when you have authority. Yeah. You say go, it'll go. Yeah. So you don't even have to come to my house, Jesus. Yes. You don't even have to come into my house. Okay, look at me. Jesus hears this, verse 10. Look at this. He marveled. Oh, man, to be this guy, this Roman unbeliever centurion, the first guy in the Bible that amazes Jesus. 
Why do you amaze Jesus? Uh, truly, I tell you, with no one even in Israel have I found such faith. Say faith, church. Faith. faith. Learning the way of the sword always has to do with your faith. Because remember, the devil is after one thing in your life. What is it? It's your faith. This is incredible. We're just still, this story, look, verse 14. He goes from there, okay? So, so I don't know if it's the same day, but he's having a pretty good day, okay? So the leopard gets cleansed, the paralyzed guy, he doesn't even have to go to the house. So the rest of the story is the paralyzed guy gets healed, okay? The guy comes home, wow, he got healed, okay? Amazing. He goes, uh, I guess he's going for lunch, you know? He's like, hey, I'm gonna go to my friend's house for lunch. He goes to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. He touches her hand and the fever leaves. And she rose and started making lunch. So that evening, I guess it was a pretty good day, they brought to him many who were, who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with are you seeing this church? The centurion says, say the and my servant will be healed. They bring up a whole line of d- d- demon. I mean, I don't want to be at Simon's house right now. I'm being honest. I mean, I live in Salt Lake. And I, I mean, there's crazy people you encounter in this city, okay? It's like, imagine they line all the, just the demon possessed, the sick, the home, whatever it is. Just line them up on the door. And he says that with a word, he cast out the demons and he healed all who were sick. Now, don't miss verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Where, church? Where did he do that? On the cross. Okay, listen. Listen. Jesus is making payments from an account he knows he's going to satisfy on the cross. He hasn't paid for all of this sin yet with his blood but he knows where he's going and he's making payments out of an account he knew he would carry all of this stuff on the cross and so by his blood he had authority to tell it to go now so then he gets into a boat verse 23 we're still in Matthew 8 okay he goes across uh this the the ocean, his disciples were with him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. You want to know what I would think? What I think is that Satan began to wise up and go, man, this guy's having a pretty good day here. I better throw something at him to stop some progress, okay? And here's how we know that the storm was demonic because read the rest of the story. Jesus was asleep. I'm going to tie my shoe real quick as I tell you that Jesus sleeps through the demonic that comes against him because he's already disarmed it. Remember, he's got the sword. They have nothing. He's asleep. But the disciples, they haven't figured out the way of the sword yet. They haven't figured out the ways of the Lord yet. We're all on the journey just like they were, right? They wake him up. They say, save us, Lord. We're drowning. Isn't this so crazy, though? They just saw him cleanse a leper, heal a paralyzed guy, cast out every demon in the city, heal every sick person in the city, and now it's, they're fishermen. They've lived their life on the sea, and they're freaking out because there's a storm. Okay? Jesus gets up, and look at what he says to them in verse 26. Why are you afraid, O you of little The way of the sword is always about your what? 
your faith. Because the enemy is coming after one thing in your life. Your and these guys are figuring it out just like we're figuring it out. It's okay to be on the journey. They saw more in one day than most of us have seen in our lifetime. And they're still, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose. This is how we know the storm was demonic. Because he rebuked it. Yeah. And the winds and the sea, and there was a great Calm. Mark's account of this story in Mark 4 says this. He said to the sea, peace, be still. Do you see Jesus wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Do you see that all he is doing is using his mouth? just like he did in creation when he created it all. It keeps going. He gets to the other side. He rebukes the storm. He lands on the other side of the ocean to the country of the Gadarenes. And two demon-possessed men met him coming out of a graveyard so fierce so that no one could pass that way. Okay, so we sent a fierce storm to try to stop Jesus's progress and he rebuked that. Well, we send some demon-possessed guys so fierce, are you with me? The storm on the water and the storm on the land, are you seeing this? The opposition, the road is narrow and the way is hard. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. This was a demonic resistance coming against Jesus. It's the same demonic resistance you feel against your life on the hard and narrow road. So these two demon-possessed guys come so fierce And they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here? They know they're done. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of pigs. This is such a crazy story. Feeding at a distance from them. We're almost done with Matthew 8. Can you believe this is one chapter? Look at this, guys. Verse 31. Oh my gosh. And the demons begged him, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. Listen, church, listen. Remember when the line was, was lined up outside of Simon Peter's house of all the demon-possessed and sick people? Remember it said that he cast them out with a word. Did you ever wonder what that word was? Oh, I wanted to know what that word was so bad. I was like, oh, I want to know. I'm a son of the king. I'm, I'm been adopted out of domain of dark. I want to know what that word he was using was. And then I get to the next story, and these two demon-possessed guys come. And he says to them, say it with me, church. Go. Go. A word. So they came out. And they went to the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sand and drowned in the waters. Guys, when the king of kings is walking around with the sword of the spirit, that is the future of everything demonic that is coming against you. Drown in the waters with a word. Church, Jesus 
modeled for us what it looks like to walk with the sword of God's spirit and to use our words to see heaven come to earth and to see the, to win the battle. To win the battle. He understood that he was walking in a divine partnership. Stay with me, guys. I know we just went through a lot. Jesus understood that he was walking in a divine partnership with his Father. A partnership that required from Jesus. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing, and I say what I hear the Father saying. Are you with me? He was understood that his participation and his obedience actually mattered. Don't forget that he was a man. He was a man that had laid aside his full power of God. And he was walking as a man. He knew that his faith and his action mattered. Here's what I want you to know. A sword doesn't do you any good. One, unless you pick it up. And then two, unless you start swinging it. I want to give you a couple practicals and then we're going to close. I want to give you some practicals on the way of the sword and how to swing the sword. All right? I'm sorry. I apologize. It is warm in here. We didn't have this problem when it was 30 degrees outside, but now spring is here. Praise God. And we got sun hitting these windows. This is a a newer space for us. We're still learning all this stuff, working with the building management. So sorry it's warm in here. You guys got five more minutes? All right. Three practicals for the way of the sword. Three practicals from the life of Jesus. Listen, number one, when you confront darkness or spiritual opposition, speak out loud. If you will just start practicing this, this will change your life. You will start winning so many battles that you're currently losing. And the only thing you did was act like Jesus and start speaking it out loud. Proverbs 18.21, I don't have this verse, Taylor, says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat of its fruits. Because the tongue is actually where faith, remember this? Faith is activated by your choice to speak what is true. So when you confront darkness, speak out loud. I want to read this verse just because I think it's cool, honestly. Okay, Psalm 149. You got to listen. I don't have a a slide for this either. Psalm 149, verse 6. Listen to this. It says, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. I don't know why that verse paired our worship, our high praise of God, to the sword in our hand. But I know that we need to learn to be like Jesus and speak out loud against the darkness. And this is an encouragement 
church. We are a worshiping church, but if you come in here and you're more focused on what's going on around the room than you are about using the power of your words to praise God with the people of God, you're missing an opportunity to swing your sword. The praise of God in their throat and a sword in their hand. Why? Why are those together? Because your worship and your words send the darkness drown in the waters. Second practical. You stand in God's authority, not your own. When you confront darkness with the sword of the spirit and you are gaining ground, okay, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We stand in God's authority. That means we use his word. Did you notice in, uh, in the Jesus' wilderness account, the Lord showed me this a few weeks ago in a staff meeting, Hallie was teaching on prayer and she was talking us through Jesus' interaction with Satan in the wilderness. You know that Jesus was tempted in every way as we, as we are. You know there's literally nothing that you can come up against that he hasn't experienced. Satan is tempting Jesus in every possible way. And did you, I've never noticed this in this story. He never responds in his own words. He never responds to the manifestation of the devil tempting him with his own wisdom or his own words. He quotes the word of God three times and Satan flees. Because scripture says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some of us may be trying to resist the the opposition of the darkness in our own wisdom, our own words. And it's very, very simple. Just go get a word that already cares, carries the authority of God's sword and just say that one. Okay, so we speak out loud. We don't stand in our authority. We stand in God's authority, which is his word. And then number three, I feel like we've already hit this one, but it is all the, the war, the battle, it is all about one thing. Somebody other than Matt Morley is telling me what it is. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. And this is where we're going to land. I want, you to, I want you to stand up with me and worship team, y'all come up here, okay? In this church, if you're new here, what we do is we worship at the end as well. Because when we hear the word of God, there's an opportunity. Jesus said that those who hear God's word and act on it are building their lives on the rock. He says if you hear God's word and you don't do anything about it, then you're like building on the sand. And so we create space after our messages to respond to whatever God was saying. And tonight, because of just the nature of the content, I'm going to have um, our staff and our pastoral leadership team to be a prayer team for us. But I don't, want you, I don't want you guys to come up here. I just want you guys in a minute to go along the back wall somewhere. Because I don't want it to be a distraction if you need prayer. But we create space where you can respond and have somebody pray for you. There is power when somebody else comes alongside of you and says, hey, I'm going to help you fight this battle for a second. And so we're going to create some space. But this is what we do here. We respond to God's word after we preach the word. But if, 
if you notice in this story, faith, faith was the central character other than Jesus. He said to the centurion, remember what he celebrated? He said, not even in Israel have I seen such great faith. But then do you remember what he said to his friends on the boat, his disciples in the middle of the storm? He said, why are you afraid? Oh, ye of little faith. Guys, faith and fear are like oil and water. They just don't mix. I heard somebody say that fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. When we partner with fear, we're actually putting our faith in the enemy's work in the enemy's kingdom. And I want to be really honest with you guys. This past week in spring break, as I was just unplugging and and having my own time to just wrestle with God on stuff and having more space than normal to just pray and journal, I want to be very, very honest. God uncovered for me some major fear that has been operating undetected in just the surface of my heart and my life. Nasty stuff, y'all. Major fears. Fears about my future. Fears about my health. Fears about my family. Fears about the time that we're living in. I mean, like pages in my journal. I wish I could unpack all of it for you, but I just want you to know that I am not alone. But if the battle is against our faith, then you can be sure that what the enemy is trying to do is sow fear. Did you see that in the story? The disciples, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Oh, ye of little faith. Faith and fear don't mix. And so staff pastoral leadership team, if y'all want to just head back to the, to the back walls and just get back there, here's what I feel like we're going to land. We're going to just worship. <clears throat> and I feel like there's space for us to just say, Lord, is there some fear that I haven't dealt with? Fear about my future, fear about my kids. I mean, we've been living in the season of fear ever since COVID swept the planet. I mean, it's like fear is a nasty master. And if you don't deal with it, I just, it will kill your faith. And so look, only the Holy Spirit can show you. He had to show me what I was so afraid of. But I'm telling you, when I saw it, I couldn't get away from it fast enough. That's where repentance becomes your best friend. And when you repent, which just means to turn away from you, say, wow, God showed me I've been partnering with the wrong domain. I've been putting my faith in the wrong kingdom here. And there's this fear that is robbing me. Man, repentance is when you say, no, no, no. I am not on your team anymore. I do not partner with fear anymore. I will not agree with that because God's word says he's given me a hope and a future. God's word says that he's still on the throne today. It doesn't matter what's happening all around the globe as the earth shakes. I know what times we're living in. He's still the king that will come back on the horse with the sword coming out of his mouth. And I promise you, I promise you, when the sword of the spirit comes out of Jesus' mouth in that day, oh man, you know what we're going to see all over the earth? We're going to see a bunch of pigs drowning in the water. You get the reference there, okay? Everything's got to run. It's not a fair fight, church.
It's not a fair fight. So will you just, can we just close our eyes? We're just going to worship. If you need to pray with one of these guys, everything's confidential. But I encourage you, if God shows you some fear, I want you to break partnership. And I want you to go and have one of these guys or have a friend pray for you. A life group leader pray for you. But Jesus, we just say, fear go. And let the Holy Spirit come. I pray right now. I just feel like I'm seeing this picture of like a, a candle, this like tiny flame. And for some of you, maybe that's what your faith feels like. It's like this ember of a tiny flame. Maybe one time your faith in God was so big and burned so bright and you believed that he could do anything and you knew that Jesus with one word could change any situation and your faith was this vibrant flame. But the last couple of years, it's been, it's been beaten down. And it's like this flickering candle. And, and I just believe that the Lord tonight wants to revive some faith in this room. But it has to happen on the other side of you getting set free from fear. And that God, what he's going to do is when you lay down fear at his feet, he's going to start blowing on this little flame. And you know what happens? He's not blowing it to blow it out. He is blowing it to stoke the fire of faith in your life. And so we say, Holy Spirit, come and let fear bow in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.